You know, one of the realities of life is that it will ultimately be interrupted by death. And admittedly, that's an unpleasant thought, certainly on the surface. And as an unpleasant thought, we have a tendency to just put it out of our minds until we're absolutely forced to face it. And then when we do, we find that it's difficult. And really, there should be no surprise to that because we were created to live. And we have no category for death because that was never God's intention. And so when we face it, it can be very, very difficult. Difficult because we don't know what to do with it. And also difficult sometimes because we're just not prepared for it. And I'm not sure that we can ever be completely prepared for it. But we do things, we drop wills, and we have advanced directives, and we have all these different things that we can talk about. But just to be emotionally prepared, to be mentally prepared, and even to be spiritually prepared can be a really, really difficult thing. So in a very mindful and hopefully a very sensitive way this morning, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of preparing for that moment. Hopefully it'll be helpful, hopefully it'll be hopeful, helpful, beneficial, because it's universal. It is something that we all have to deal with eventually. And, and up to this point, we've dealt with it in, in lives connected to us and attached to us, but eventually we all have to face our own mortality. And unless Jesus returns, we're not going to get an exemption. And if Jesus would like to come back today, I'm good with that, honestly. But we need to be prepared. And obviously we had John up here because one of the jobs of the hospice chaplain is to try to prepare people, but it's also one of my jobs, I suppose, as a pastor, but I think it's even our job as Christ followers to prepare ourselves. And so I want to address this topic because it's universal, but I also want to address this topic because Paul dealt with it. As we're going through our look at 2 Corinthians here, Paul talks about this idea of death, but interestingly enough, he talks about it in a section of his letter that deals with the topic of encouragement. And I realize that sounds a little bit upside down. But it's actually a continuation of the passage that we looked at last week. So if you would, turn with me back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start there. And most of our message this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as we looked at this last week and we talked about turning discouragement upside down in our lives, there was a phrase that came out a couple times. And I want to go back and pick that up. In chapter 4, verse number 16, Paul wrote this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. And he goes on and says, here's some reasons why we don't lose heart, or here's why we can be encouraged. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Physically we are all declining, but spiritually we are all being inspired and lifted as God works in us. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is, unse or excuse me, so what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we don't lose heart or we don't get encouraged because we know that what we're dealing with is only going to be for a while. And on the other side of that, it's going to be forever. The problem is, how do you get from there to here? And that can be a little bit unpleasant. And maybe that's way too, too uh, calm a word or, or kind of word. 
But as we read through this with Paul, we get a chapter break right here. But Paul didn't write his letter in chapter and verses. That'd be really weird if you wrote you know, to somebody and put little chapters in your letter and put little verses. They've just been included later so that we can find stuff. So this letter keeps right on rolling into chapter 5, and it'd really be better if they never put a chapter break there because it gives us some more context and it gives us some more information on what he's talking about. So he goes on in chapter one, or excuse me, verse number 1 of chapter 5, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And so Paul pulls out some metaphors here, and he pulls out the metaphor of a tent, and he pulls out a metaphor of a house. Well, this is referring to actually our bodies, and our tent is our human body. And so what Paul is saying here is of our earthly body we live in is destroyed or if it declines or if it dies. We still have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. That is not referring to like the mansions that we like to talk about in heaven, that someday we're going to all live in our mansions. This is talking about the bodies that actually we will inhabit when we get to heaven. And so what he's talking about is we're going to trade one body over here that's temporary and it's corrupted and marred and, and messed up by sin, and we're going to try it for a different body that's going to live forever that doesn't have any of these effects of sin. So he keeps going here. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. And he's saying it would be so much better if we didn't have to live with sore knees and migraine headaches and, and all the different infirmities that we deal with. It would just be so much better to have our heavenly dwelling. But he's talking about our bodies here because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. And so he switched metaphors from houses to clothes, but the sentiment's the same. That we will be clothed with a heavenly body, and it's not our bodies that would be naked, it would be our souls that would be naked, because they are supposed to have bodies. And if we really follow with Scripture, all through Scripture, we are created with bodies as humans, and all through eternity, we will continue to have bodies, and we will continue to be human. There's just this interruption in the middle. And he keeps going here. He says, For while we are in this tent or in this body, we groan and we are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed or without a body, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly body, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And this is really the key idea that Paul is presenting here in this passage. What is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What is going to what is mortal, what is going to die, is going to give way to what is going to live. And God is always about life. And as we, we look at this subject here, we can be very discouraged and we can, and we can grieve and all these things because of death. But we need to be reminded that God is always about life. And even as we deal with, with death in our lives, God says, here, let me take that and let me give you something different in its place. Let me give you life. And so this passage actually is much more about life than it is about death. In fact, this is really his statement on death. We will be mortal, but we're going to move on from that because that's going to be swallowed up from life. And I love how quickly he makes that transition. It's like there's that, that mention, okay, we're mortal. Okay, and on we go with that because I think that gives us a picture of what God intends. Verse number five, now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. 
And so we have these bodies in this life, and these souls and bodies are all attached. But the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us as a promise and as a guarantee that as we move into the next life, he will be part of the picture, part of our story still. And as he is the eternal God living inside of us, it's the guarantee that we will experience eternity as well. Therefore, verse number 6, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Seems like kind of a funny verse, doesn't it? We are confident that we know that as long as we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. It actually sounds like it's better to be here in the body than, than with God, but the opposite is actually true. The confidence is, as long as we're in this body, we can be sure that something better is waiting, and that's when we're with the Lord. So verse number 7, we live by faith and not by sight. We live with a full assurance and confidence that there's something more than just this life. So we are confident, verse number 8, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Think about that for a minute. Paul is saying here, you know what, if I had my choice, I'd just be done with this life. And I'd move on to the next one. It's pretty extreme. I'm not sure I'm in that same place yet. Where I could say, okay, let's just move on to the next one because I'm ready to be done with this. There's a lot about this life that I like and I enjoy. And I think that's good. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Paul goes on here and says, okay, the next life, though, is what's so much better. So, verse number 9, we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. So either way, whether we're here in this body or when we get to this next body, our purpose is going to be the same. And it's going to be to please God. So as long as we're still in this body, let's just focus on that. Let's just focus on our relationship with God because that's what it's going to be about eventually. And he goes on, verse number 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due uh, due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so we will all appear before God and there will be a judgment We have a tendency to think of that judgment as God saying, okay, you're going to stand here and we're going to go through a list of all your sins and then you're going to be condemned for all your sins. It's not what's going to happen. That's already happened. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when Jesus died on the cross, that was the judgment. So all of your sins were taken and were loaded onto Jesus Christ and they were all judged right then in that moment. And so if you have trusted Jesus Christ, when we talk about someday going to heaven or someday living in eternity, and we talk about this judgment, we're not talking about this. Your sins have been taken care of in Jesus Christ. More what we are talking about is, what have you done with your life? How have you loved Jesus? What are the the investments that you made into eternity? And so there might be a a moment of hesitation there where we say, okay, I want to make sure that that when I stand before God, it's going to be a good experience. But we don't have to have fear because Jesus has already taken care of that. So to summarize what what Paul has said here, it's this. We don't lose hope. We are encouraged by the fact that all of these things that are discouraging us in the next life, it's gone. 
There, there's not going to be broken down bodies. There's, there's not going to be pain. There's not going to be infirmities. There, there's not going to be all of uh, the, the effects of sin. There's not going to be all these relational difficulties. There's not going to be the worry. There's not going to be all of these things that weigh us down. We're not going to have to worry about those things. Not only will those things all be over, everything in the next life will be better. So you can even take all of the good of life, and there's a lot of good in life. When God created man and put him in the garden, that gives us the heart, a picture of the heart of God. God wants good for us, and there's a lot of good in life. And if you can take all of the good in life, it's going to be better in the next life. It's the point here. And what makes it better more than anything else is the fact that we will be with Jesus. We will have new bodies and we will live forever. So to repeat myself, this is more about life than death and it's about turning death upside down because God has always been the author of life and God is committed to life and God continually offers life. Here's life. Here's life. Here's life. And so as we dig into this passage then we've realize that's what Paul's after. He's like, hey, here's how to live. Now, in the process of living, we're going to have to face death, but that's just a small slice of this bigger picture of what it means to live. And so what I want to do is work back through that passage, pull six things out of there that we can learn about living. In fact, I'm calling them life hacks this morning. Because they teach us how so we can live so that we can be ready to die so that we can live eternally. So the first thing is this. We live realizing that there's more to life than what we can see. There's a material world and there's an immaterial world. And we get that. We sense that. Even when people who may not be you know, religious or, or faith people, they still talk about things that are, that are immaterial. You know, everybody say, well, you know, he'll get his karma. Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about that sense that we have that there's more than just the physical, just the sense that we can touch or whatever, that there's something bigger out there. And that's that realm in which we live in. Now, people don't know what to do with that sometimes. They don't know how to access it. They don't even know what that is. They don't know what that looks like. And maybe that's not the best way to say it. But they don't really have a picture of what that is. And so, because it then becomes kind of mysterious and, and hard to get our, uh, in our heads around, we resort to what's easy to get our heads around, and that's what we can see and touch and feel and experience physically. And so we become very enamored with the physical world. And I mean, we, can, we can see a house, and we, we can feel the ride of a car, and, and we can experience relationships, and, and we can taste food, and we can do all these things. And so we build our lives, we have a tendency as humans to build our lives around what's seen, because it's so much easier, isn't it? I, I get it. I understand this. I, I can describe this. What's unseen is hard for me to picture, to imagine, because it's something that I'm not quite sure what it is. And yet what Paul is saying here is, oh, there's something out there that you're not seeing. And it's so much better, actually, than what you are seeing. And so you need to live according to that. Because what we see, we often say is real. But the truth is, what's real is what we don't see. And that's what Paul's after. The invisible is actually the real. And it becomes the filter and the lens that we view life through. And it also becomes the baseline 
for the purpose of our existence. And so as we make decisions, as we follow paths, we have to consider more than just what we see. We have to consider what we don't see. We have to consider the immaterial or the spiritual. Now, I've done for myself, I, I have done, well, this is kind of crazy. When I, when I left South Bend, where I'd been in ministry for 23 years, I had done one funeral. And since coming to Waterford here, I've done well over 100 funerals. And fortunately, more than just people in this church. But when I get to a funeral, you know what? What does everybody believe about their loved ones? That they're gone, but they're somewhere. Why? Because we understand this idea that there's more than what we can see. And the big point then is actually what we can't see is way more important than what we can see. And we give so much of our lives to what we can see. And the encouragement here, if we want to turn this all upside down, is that we give the, the focus of our lives and the energy of our lives and the investment of our lives to those things that we can't see, which, of course, is the spiritual. A second thing here, we live believing that what is coming is better than what is. And what is can be pretty good. I mean, you can eat a good meal. And it could be enjoyable, and that's fine. That's good. You could spend time with friends or family. Kelly and I got a chance to run over to Grand Rapids yesterday and hang out with Luke for the day. That was great. We had a great time. And that's good, too. We can listen to a good story. We can sit there and, and enjoy a good sunset. There's still a sun, right? I wasn't sure about that one. But you know What? Whatever is good in this life is going to be inferior to what is the next life. And so I would say two things here. First of all, though, is think about the best thing in your life, even like your biggest dreams for this life, and just realize it's going to be so much better than that in the next life. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? It's also, though, a reminder to us that everything in this life does have a, an expiration date or, or a shelf life. And, and we need to be aware of that, that some things do not continue on into eternity. When we're talking about hospice, um, one of the patients that I met with was a, a, a guy who was, he was so much fun to go visit, but he was like a little eccentric. And uh, in his house, he had hooks every like foot all the way around his um, living room. And on his hooks were all of his clothes. And I'm like, uh, what's, what's the story with the hooks? And he's like, oh, that way I don't have to hang up my clothes. You know, put them on a hanger, he just hang them on a hook. So one, he'd just work his way through there, and, you know, everything got dirty. It kind of went in a pile in the corner. And then, and then he'd wash them, and they'd hang him back, back on the hooks. Like, in his kitchen, there were just stacks and stacks and stacks of Coke um, in, in pop um, cartons. Cans, not open yet. I mean, like, like hundreds of cans, like thousands of cans, like... If Jesus fed the 5,000, he could have, like, given them something to drink. And there was that much. And there's a single guy. And, I mean, just kind of a, and just kind of crazy like that. He collected those little state quarters. But he'd get his, like, pension money. He'd go down to the bank, and he'd change it all into quarters. And then he'd come home, and he would pick out all the state quarters and put them in little jars, and he kept track of all these things. But my, my biggest remembrance of him is he had this gun rack in the kitchen, and he had modified it and made these little tiny shelves that went across it. And on these shelves were little baby food jars. And I'm like, what's with the, with the baby food jars? 
He said, oh, that's my canning. And so he had taken his vegetable garden, and instead of putting them in big things, he put them in these little baby food jars, and then he had labeled them with all of what they were and put the date on them of when he canned them. And I realized as I'm standing there in his kitchen looking at this that I'm reading dates that are now more than 10 years old. And I was like, you know, it might be a good idea if you just threw those out and maybe drank some pop. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, the truth of the matter is that this life does have shelf, or this, yeah, this life does have shelf life. And that there is a time when it's all going to come to an end, but there is a next life. Some things are going to end. Some things are going to go on into eternity. But it's eternity that gives us hope. Because if we're left with justice for this moment, the best thing you could come up with is the best thing. And a lot of us are even frustrated because we can never get to whatever that best thing is that we imagine and visualize. But we can say, okay, no matter how good it is or whatever that dream is, there's still something bigger and better coming on here. And so we have uh, a, a hope of eternity. And then he makes an interesting point here, too, is the fact that not only do we have eternity, but we're going to live eternity in this body. And so a lot of eternity we're going to experience even as we experience life today. That's interesting, isn't it? I think so. And if actually you go back to the resurrection, the resurrection is really important for several reasons. First of all, the resurrection is proof that Jesus rose from the dead. We could physically see that it happened. It's also the resurrection was necessary because it proved that sin and death were defeated. Jesus is alive now. But the resurrection is always also important because Jesus walked out of that tomb in a body. In the, our eternal lives are going to be spent in a body. In fact, Jesus still lives today in that body. And so it's just this reminder to us that what is coming is like what is, but it's going to be better even than what is. Third thing here. We embrace then this body and this life, even with limitations. And that is good. And that is actually godly. And we can look at this life and say, okay, to, to enjoy a meal with friends or, or to, to look at a sunset or whatever it is that we happen to choose, that's God's intention. And even though we're limited, we should be living into this life still and enjoying the things that God has given us. Now, they're not going to last forever as they are. They're going to change and be something a little bit different. But we can embrace this moment and so the bigger point, though, is that this life gives us a little bit of an idea of what the next life is going to be. And all of the good that we see here, we can strip out all the bad that goes with it and just have this incredible goodness that's going to be ours forever. But what is the best thing that's going to be in the next life? It's going to be the fact that we're with Jesus. And that's what Paul says. He says, we can live in this body, but I'd rather be with the Lord. With the Lord. And so that's why he says our goal is to please him, whether we're home in the body or away from it. The greatest part of the next life is that we are going to have this relationship with Jesus. But here's what's even better than that. That's already started. The moment you trust Jesus Christ, you actually step into that next life. Now, it's different because we can't see it, 
but it's real, even though it's invisible, and we can already have that relationship with Jesus Christ. We're living in the kingdom just on this side of it. But that gives then meaning to all of our moments here. And it's not that we have to go around in some weird way and, you know, uh, um, over-spiritualize them, but it is that we can realize that in our moments, we are already living in this new reality, and they can become sacred to us. It doesn't get rid of the pain, and we still have to go through that because we haven't crossed that last bridge. But there's some hope in that as well. Number four, we, we embrace this body and its limitations, but why do we do it? Because we live with the understanding that the present affects the future. We live with the understanding that the present affects the future. So then it becomes more than just enjoying this life. That's okay. It actually becomes about investing in this life and using this life and preparing in this life for the next life. So today matters because tomorrow is coming. And there are no throwaway days then. And it's not that you have to go out and do something spectacular every day. But it's that you realize each and every day that this day matters on into eternity. Because what I do here, I'm at home in this body. I'm trying to please the Lord with this body. It's going to matter tomorrow when I get into eternity. Even when you get down there to verse number 10, which says what? You're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, okay, what did you do with this life? And so we live with that idea that there is a next life. That's why you guys are here today. You probably haven't thought about that. But we come to church, why? Because there's a next life. And what happens in this life matters in that life. And so we are committing and we're investing in this life because it will have residual effect over on the other side here. And so we see past today and we, in, we see into tomorrow. And that's that verse, verse number 10 in your, in your resource guide that we've been putting in your bulletin there. There's some interesting notes on that verse that you can look at later if you'd like. But the idea is this life is our opportunity to invest in the next life. We make our decisions, we ter- determine our values, we invest our resources. All of those things should be driven by the idea that what I do today, January 20th, 22nd, matters for eternity. Number five, since our future is secure, we live boldly. Since our future is secure, we live boldly. Our confidence is what? We are going to be okay eventually. Regardless of what happens in this life, and it can be really hard, and it can be really tough, and it can be really demanding, but regardless of what happens in this life, I'm going to be okay in this life. I'm not just going to be okay, by the way. I'm going to be awesome in this life. But it allows us to live a different way. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live like, oh, what happens if this doesn't work out? Or what, what happens if this? In all these different scenarios. Because eventually, those things are all going to be done with. And the things that get us so torn up and, and, and internally and, and worried and, and that scare us and, and that we fear aren't even going to matter. And usually, well, even take this to the, the extreme one, what's the thing that we sometimes fear the most? Death. That's just your transition into something so much better. So when we really understand this idea of eternity, we can say goodbye to our fears 
That doesn't mean that we're not going to wrestle with them, but we can look at them and say, this really shouldn't get me as upset as it is because someday it's not even going to matter in this situation. So we can live with confidence, certainty, and assurance. We can live realizing that every wrong in this world will be made right in the next one. I like how the British say it. It will be sorted. It will be sorted. And that's the, the um, confidence, again, that we have. That death won't be the end. That it will just be interruption. The confidence that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The confidence that we have no reason to fear. The confidence that we have in, in eternal life. I was talking to John there beforehand, before the service. But when I was doing hospice, I discovered something really interesting. I get sent to a house, and I'd meet a, a new patient, a new family. But when I go to that house, I had been typically in that house less than 60 seconds, and I would know that they were believers. Because I would walk through the door, I'd introduce myself, and they'd say to me, you know what, we're okay, because we know where he's going. And that was uniformly what would happen and when I'd walk into somebody who knew Christ. But it just took all of the angst out of the atmosphere. Because those people were saying, this is hard, we're struggling right here. But we are okay because we live boldly with confidence. And the last thing here, we live convinced that being with Jesus is better than anything that this life can offer. That's what Paul is saying here. Someday we are going to be with Jesus. And that's going to be better than the best moment of your life. And he got there, why? Because there was a day on a Damascus road where Paul met Jesus face to face. There was another time we read about later in this book in, in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, I had this vision, or maybe I was a person, I don't really know what happened, but I was in heaven and I saw stuff that nobody's ever seen. But it was this idea of being with Christ. You know, it's interesting, even as we talk about John, I think you would, would agree with this too as we talk about hospice. At the end, all you want is your people. All, all the stuff and all the, the trophies and whatever like that, nobody cares about those. You just want your people, and you want them there with you. Because we are relational at our core with other people, but we're relational in our core. We were made in the image of God, and our soul will never find greater fulfillment than to be with the Creator, the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who died for us. See, we went yesterday to see Luke in Grand Rapids, and we just did, we went grocery shopping. Doesn't that sound like fun? And, um, yeah, and we went to, uh, we went to Anna's house for, for brunch. That was fun, by the way. But, you know, it wasn't the things that we did yesterday. It was the fact that we were with him. That was so much fun. And a lot of times we're like, well, what are we going to do in heaven? I don't know. But we're going to be with Jesus. And anything that you do, I'm sure will be great, but it won't be that great. What will be greatest is the fact that we are with him. And that's something that we can look forward to. And that is the promise that he gives us. Like, not only can you, like, it's not like, okay, you can meet me. I'll introduce myself. You know, you've been praying to me, and we kind of have this long-distance relationship because you can't really see me. It's like, okay. We walk through the, the, the gate or the door or, what, or across the threshold, and he's like, oh, you're here. It's just you and me. And somehow, I don't get that. 
But somehow that's what eternity is going to be. It's going to be me and Jesus. It's going to be you and Jesus. And this is why we can turn this all upside down and say, wow, look what we are looking forward to. And so as Paul writes to the Corinthians, he offers encouragement. This is what this passage is about. Hey, be encouraged. You're like, oh, that's a funny thing to encourage people with. Well, no, it's not. When you look at encouragement is that we will be done with these problems, these light and momentary problems. And we're going to be done with them maybe sooner than we'd even like. But we're going to be done with them. We can look forward to the next life with confidence, with hope, with expectation. We could take comfort that the loved ones that we have lost, they're already experiencing all this. They're the fortunate ones. But we grieve and we miss them, and that's fine. That's understandable. But we don't grieve for their loss. And it also instructs us, though, that we can live our life well. We can live investing in the future. We can live even right now in relationship with Jesus right here, right now. I want to show you a video as we finish up here this morning. Just a good reminder, isn't it, that it's Jesus that turns everything upside down. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I hope that I have dealt with a sensitive subject appropriately this morning. That's been my heart. But death is a reality, it's just not a finality. It's just a transition from this life to the next life, from life to life, this interruption. Sin that Satan, that the enemy has, has put in the pathway. But Jesus has done everything possible to lessen the blow. He took the penalty of sin on himself on a cross. 
so we wouldn't have to be judged, so we wouldn't have to experience eternal death. That the only death we'd have to experience is just this hard transition from this life to the next. But my question to you this morning is, have you ever accepted that gift? Jesus went to a cross when he died, when he rose again and walked out of that tomb in bodily form. That was for you. Have you ever accepted that gift, invited Jesus Christ into your life? Because he will change your life. He will turn it upside down in so many good ways. And he'll turn this whole issue upside down too. And he'll give you the hope of eternity. The Holy Spirit can come and live inside you and promise you and guarantee you that, hey, this is eternal because I'm an eternal God. Have you accepted Christ? You can do that where you sit this morning. It's a simple prayer, simple conversation between you and Jesus. Jesus, I believe you came, but you died for me. She rose again, that my sin has been defeated, that death has been defeated, and so I accept your gift. If you've done that, if you're a Christ follower, call yourself a Christian, a Jesus follower, the next life is so much better. It just is. But it doesn't mean that this life is bad, that you can't enjoy it. And it also means, though, that this life is important. Because it sets us up and it prepares us for the next one. And so my question to you is, where has the Holy Spirit spoken to you this morning about this life? And what you're doing with it. How you're investing, how you're living it, how you're using it. What response do you need to make to him? And so God, as we conclude this morning... We ask that you speak into our hearts, speak into our lives, and encourage us with this thought, remind us of this thought. We don't have to fear what comes. We can look forward to it because you are the God who has turned death upside down and given us life. May you fill just even this week ahead and in the days ahead with life. That's my prayer, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? So glad, so grateful that you come. Hopefully it's been an encouragement to you. That's the goal. That's the hope. That we live into eternity that's coming. It's going to be awesome. So, But go out and live this week with that promise and with that assurance. You're dismissed.